I can do that. She's my friend. Well, good evening. Uh, I think this study is um, very timely uh, for all the sickness that's been going around and just heavy hearts everywhere. And uh, so um, let's see what, what the Lord has for us. So tonight we're going to be studying how to pray when our heart is heavy. And we're going to be looking at the life of Hannah, who suffered from a very, very heavy heart. And our text that we're going to use this evening is 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, first of all, we need to know that a heavy heart is one that is sorrowful or depressed or burdened by various things. It's one that is weighed down by many emotions. You know, and as women, uh, we always need to remember that we are greatly affected by our emotions. And our emotions can run the gamut from extremely happy to extremely sad. And our emotions are affected by many things. Our menstrual cycle, menopause, hormonal imbalances, illness, Circumstances, situations, people, problems, successes, failures, and on and on the list can go. As Christian women, however, our lives need to be grounded in the word of God so that we can better be able to control our emotions with God's help so that They don't rule our lives or lead us into ways that we should not go. But it's a day-by-day process of spiritual growth. And so we will have failures and we will have successes in dealing with our emotions along the way. But the important thing is that we continue to grow in this area of controlling our emotions and not allow our emotions to control us. So in studying how to pray when our heart is heavy, I want to look at three ways that Hannah dealt with her heavy heart. First, she wept. Second, she prayed. And third, she trusted God with her problems and waited upon him to work on her behalf. Before we get further into our study, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we thank you for this study of Hannah, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us this evening, Lord. I pray that um, a scripture would touch each and every one of us, Lord, to encourage us, to um, give us strength to go on if we're carrying a heavy heart. Father, help us to pray for one another, Lord, especially for our sisters who may be going through great difficulties right now. And so I just pray, Father, that you would help us to lay aside the burdens of the day, Lord, and the cares, and just help us to come and sit at your feet and just to receive all that you have for us tonight, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the work you're about to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's look at the first way Hannah dealt with her heavy heart. She wept. Now, weeping is a way that 
Many women generally respond to emotional situations. You know, we cry when we're happy. We cry when we're sad. We cry when we're angry. We cry when we're frustrated. We cry when our feelings get hurt. We cry when we're in physical pain. We cry when we're lonely. We cry when we worship the Lord. We cry thinking of our loved ones. And if you're going through menopause, you will cry for absolutely no reason at all. (laughs) It's the craziest thing. I can remember one time uh, when I was going through menopause, I was taking a shower. And all of a sudden, I was just overwhelmed with a deep sense of sadness. And I started to cry. And I mean, I cried hard. And, you know, a minute or two later, I finally had to tell myself, Noreen, why are you crying? And all I could say was, I don't know. You know, and and finally I had to stop, but it, it was a crazy time. But weeping does have its benefits. It helps us to release all the tension that builds up within us due to various situations and circumstances. It also helps us to rest better after an emotional experience. But we don't want to cry too much or too long because it can lead us into depression and it can cause us to be paralyzed in our walk with the Lord. It won't allow us to move forward. Now, weeping in the Bible is usually associated with a lamenting over someone or something. And as we look at Hannah's life, we'll see that she is lamenting many things. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. Now, Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. As we look at these verses, we get a glimpse of the life of Hannah. First of all, she's married to a man named Elkanah, who, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 6, was a descendant of Zuf, who was a Levite. Um, But the text seems to describe Elkanah as an Ephraimite. But this actually refers to the Levitical city in which they lived, which was within the tribe of Ephraim. Next, we begin to see some of the reasons for Hannah's heavy heart. First of all, in verse 2, it says that Hannah was one of two wives that Elkanah had. Now, polygamy was practiced in that whole part of the ancient world. But the Bible never put or never saw polygamy in a favorable light. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 17.17, God told Moses that a king over the nation of Israel was not to multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. You know, strife and conflict always characterized the uh, polygamous families in the Bible. And, you know, if you look at the life of Sarah and Hagar, 
or Rachel and Leah, you know, uh, had Elkanah studied these, remembered this, you know, he might not have taken a second wife. <clears throat> Their homes were full of jealousy and envy and uh, favoritism. So we can imagine that it wasn't easy for Hannah to have to share her husband and her home with another woman. Also in verse 2, we see that Hannah was barren, meaning that she had no children. Now, for the Israelites, barrenness was considered a mark of shame. It was a sign to them of disfavor from God. It was also looked down upon because it didn't provide the husband with a son to carry on his name or his lineage or to provide someone to inherit his estate. Barrenness was also considered a tragedy because every Israeli woman was hoping to be the mother of the Messiah. Being barren alone must have caused Hannah to have a very heavy heart. <clears throat> and then to add salt to, Anna's, to Hannah's wound, verse 2 tells us that Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, had children. So Hannah was probably daily reminded of her barrenness, and it probably ached her heart to have to watch her husband, you know, uh, play with her children and not have any children of her own to offer him. So let's look at verses 3 to 7. <clears throat> this man, speaking of Elkanah, went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now notice, first of all, that Elkanah was a godly man, and he was a Levite. According to the law of Moses, found in Exodus 34:23 and in Deuteronomy 16:16, 16, 16, three times a year, every male of 20 years and older had to appear before the Lord to worship and sacrifice to him. And in those days, the center of worship was located in Shiloh, where the tabernacle of God was erected, and the Ark of the Covenant was also there. So um, they were to go up to the tabernacle of God to celebrate one of three feasts. So it was supposed to be a time of thankfulness and rejoicing and merriment, um, you know, as they went up to the Lord, uh, to the house of the Lord, they were to go with anticipation of worship and being close to the Lord. But Hannah was grieved. Regarding the sacrifice that was offered, uh, one commentator noted that as part of the offering, 
as part of offering the sacrifice, which was probably a peace offering, the blood of the sacrifice was poured out at the foot of the altar. The fat was burnt on the fire. The breast and the right shoulder of the sacrifice were given to the priests as their portion, and the rest belonged to him who made the offering. On it, he and his family feasted, each receiving a portion. So Elkanah probably distributed a portion of whatever his sacrifice was to each of his family members. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And he wanted to do this to show his great love for her and to kind of show his sensitivity because she was barren. Now, verses 6 and 7 tell us that adding to Hannah's heavy heart because of her barrenness, Peninnah provoked her severely to make her miserable because she was barren. And the word provoke means to anger or to vex. And the word vex means to annoy or irritate. So Peninnah was deliberately going out of her way to anger and annoy Hannah because of her barrenness. You know, Peninnah was being unsympathetic, uncompassionate, wanting only to humiliate and shame Hannah. Her motive was malicious. And she did this even as they were going up yearly to the tabernacle of the Lord to worship and rejoice. Proverbs 16.8 says, A perverse man or woman sows strife. Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. And that was Peninnah. She was just pouring it on. It's interesting to note here that Hannah's name means grace or gratuitous gift. And Hannah was gracious to Peninnah because she refused to uh, repay evil with evil. And Peninnah's name means coral. And her disposition was like coral. It was cutting. It was sharp. It um, caused great injury. And as a result, the scriptures tell us that Hannah wept and did not eat. Hannah's heart was becoming heavier and heavier as she was afflicted on multiple fronts. She was afflicted spiritually by the tauntings of Peninnah as she went up to the tabernacle to worship. You know, she was unable to focus on the Lord and to look forward to that time of rejoicing with him. She was afflicted emotionally as she wept over her barrenness. And the word wept here uh, is the word baka, which means to bemoan and bewail in anguish. So uh, Hannah was not just crying, but she was really lamenting and crying in anguish. It, It was just from deep within her. She was also afflicted physically. Uh, because she wasn't eating properly. And finally, I thought her husband would add the icing to the cake. You know, Elkanah seems to be oblivious to the behavior of Peninnah. Or maybe uh, he was indifferent to it. You know, the scripture really doesn't say, and, and maybe I shouldn't either. 
but it just seemed kind of strange that he wasn't saying much. Um, in verse 8, he asked Hannah several questions. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? You know, generally guys are not as emotional as we are. So sometimes they just don't get it. They don't understand why we're so emotional. And finally, the kicker question, he says, is, am I not better to you than ten sons? You know, Elkanah wasn't very sensitive to Hannah. And it seems like he was completely ignorant of the difference between a woman's love for a son and that for a husband. And finally, he didn't recognize that Hannah had needs that he just couldn't fulfill. Longing to be a mother could not be substituted by his great love, and it could never be substituted with a double portion. Hannah's heart was really, really heavy. But we need to ask ourselves, what about you? Are any of you carrying around a heavy heart tonight? Is it burdened with the loss of a loved one, financial problems, serious illness, a struggling marriage, a prodigal son? Do you have a penina in your life? Or worse yet, are you the penina in someone's life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In dealing with these problems, have you been weeping a lot and not eating properly? Are you starting to get depressed? Jesus told his disciples in John 16:33, "In the world you will have tribulation." So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So if your life is okay right now and the problems are few and your burdens are light, Give thanks to the Lord. Thank him for the blessings. And remember to pray for your sisters, your relatives, your friends who are carrying heavy burdens. Often when we have a heavy heart, our natural tendency is to shut down and curl up in a ball and just want to stay in bed. You know, we don't want to talk to anybody. We don't want to go anywhere. We don't want to eat. We just want to cry. And so we allow our emotions to dictate our behavior. But for the Christian woman, this is the worst thing that we can do. You know, it's okay to grieve and to weep for a while, but we shouldn't allow ourselves to stay there. We need to remember and ask the Lord to give us scripture passages that will help to lift us from our feelings to God's throne. For example, Psalm 73:26 says, "My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." Psalm 3:3 says, "But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts my head." Psalm 145:14 says, "The Lord upholds all who fall." and raises up all who are bowed down. Like Hannah, we need to take our heavy heart 
to the next level and not just allow it to remain emotional. So this brings us to the second way Hannah dealt with her uh, heavy heart. She prayed. So let's look at verses 9 to 11. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So here we see Hannah on another one of their many trips to Shiloh. After they finished feasting, she goes to the tabernacle to pray, perhaps at the time of the evening service, which would probably be three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle. And this seat was his place of authority uh, as high priest and also as judge. And Hannah begins to pray as she is still in bitterness of soul and she's weeping in anguish over her barrenness. But notice that her emotions, which used to interfere with and her Uh, interfere with her focus on the Lord, now bring her to the tabernacle. And she begins her prayer by calling on the Lord of hosts. Now this title, Lord of hosts, is used 260 times in the Old Testament. And it refers to God as the Lord of the mighty armies, or as the captain of the armies of heaven, the undefeated God the God of strength, the the God who can do everything. She called upon him to intercede on her behalf and to be her protector. Her prayer also shows her humility because she referred to herself as his handmaid, um, excuse me, his maidservant. Then she uh, presents her petition to the Lord in the form of a vow. And she says, if you will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. You know, notice she's very specific in her request. And when we go to the Lord, when our heart is heavy, we need to be specific, telling him exactly what we need, what we want him to do. She asks for a male child. And then she promises that if God would give her a son, she would give him up to the service of God for all his life. Now, this son would by birth be a Levite already because he was his father was a Levite. And so he would already as a Levite be specially dedicated to the Lord, because if you'll remember, the Lord regarded the tribe of Levi as his special possession. And it was only the Levites who were allowed to um, uh, be in charge of the tabernacle and all the things of the tabernacle. But a Levite's special uh, dedication to the Lord and his service only lasted about 20 years from the time that he was 30 to 50, according to Numbers 4, uh, verses 2 to 3. 
But in her prayer, Hannah is promising to give her son to the Lord in a greater way for his whole life. And she's promising that he would have a greater dedication than a Levite. He would be a Nazarite. And as a Nazarite, he would, according to Numbers chapter 6, abstain from any product from the grapevine, from seed to skin. He would never cut his hair because it was a public visible sign to others of his vow. And he would never go near a dead body lest he make himself unclean. And so all the, de- all the days of his dedication as a Nazarite, he was to be separated unto the Lord. Hannah must have been praying about her barrenness since she first found out about it. But the Lord delayed his answer. You know, sometimes... Sometimes we're not ready to receive what we're asking for. Or we ask for something for the wrong reasons. And so God delays his answer. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. But sometimes God has a plan that we are not aware of. And he uses more time than usual to get all the pieces of his plan in order. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, at this time, God was needing a man that he could speak to and that would speak to the people for him. Remember that at this time, uh, it was at the end of the time of the judges where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. You know, it had been a while since the Israelites had really heard from God. And now Hannah was offering her child, if given one, for God's use. Let's look at verses 12 to 17. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So here we see that Hannah continued praying before the Lord, but she prayed silently from her heart. I'm sure we've all done that sometimes or another. And you're praying, and your mouth is moving, but you're not really talking. You're just kind of praying in in your mind. But when Eli observed her doing this, he thought she was drunk. And I couldn't help but think, wow, 
Here we go again. Poor Hannah is being misjudged by someone. And this time it's by her high priest. It's sad to note here that instead of assuming that Hannah went to the tabernacle to pray to the Lord, Eli instead first judged her as being drunk. You know, apparently at that time, it was not uncommon for drunken women to come to the tabernacle. It was also interesting to note that Eli was willing to confront Hannah, whom he suspected to be drunk, but he would not confront nor discipline his two priestly sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were definitely corrupt. You know, later on in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you can read that they were stealing from the worshipers and bullying them and lying with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle. You know, and and they caused the people to abhor uh, the offering. People didn't want to come to temple because of their corruption. And sadly, later, Eli and his sons would pay with their lives for their disobedience to the Lord. So Hannah then defends herself to Eli, and she tells him that she wasn't drunk. You know, she probably said, well, yeah, my eyes were red, but it's not because I was drinking. I was crying, you know, and I I have a sorrowful spirit, and I'm just crying out to the Lord. And this is exactly what Hannah needed to do. Instead of keeping that bitterness and that anguish in her heart, she needed to pour it out before the Lord. And we need to do the same thing when our heart is heavy. You know, bitterness and anguish kept inside only harms us. You know, it eats away at us like acid. It can turn into greater sins like hatred and rage and even murder. You know, and haven't we seen a whole lot of this in the news today where people are angry and upset and and instead of trying to work it out, you know, they'll grab a gun or whatever. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Psalm 37, 8 says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. And Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then Hannah asks Eli not to consider her as a wicked woman. Hannah's high priest totally misjudged and misunderstood her. But we are so blessed because our high priest Jesus never misunderstands us. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. Eli then gives Hannah a blessing, saying, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And Hannah responds by saying, Let your maidservant find favor 
in your sight. And so then Hannah goes away, and what does she do? She eats. You know, her face was no longer sad. And it's interesting that the change in Hannah's countenance shows that she was now looking to the hope in Eli's benediction. She was looking to the hope of God's intervention in her life. She was looking for the hope of her answered prayer. She wasn't focused on her emotions. Her countenance also proved that a work of God by his spirit was active within her because her circumstances didn't change. She changed. Her heart changed. And when our heart is heavy, we need to do as Hannah did. Go before the Lord, leave our burdens with him, and then believe and trust in God's promises, which he has given us in his word. And, and those promises will sustain us, they'll lift us up, and they will encourage us. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And this brings us to the final way Hannah dealt with her heavy heart. She trusted God with her problems and waited upon him to work on her behalf. So let's look at verses 19 to 23. <clears throat> then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, first of all, we see that they rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. How wonderful that now Hannah could genuinely worship the Lord in faith while her hope was still not fulfilled. You know, she seemed to have a peace which resulted from her pouring out her problems to the Lord and leaving them with him. And when our heart is heavy and we pour out our hearts to the Lord and we lay our burdens at his feet, we can experience as well that peace that surpasses all understanding, even though our circumstances have not changed. We can sense that a heaviness has been taken away or is being taken away as we trust in him. And we can become um, free to truly have joy in our hearts once again. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 55, verses 16 to 18 says, As for me, I will call upon God, 
and the Lord shall save me. Evening, morning, and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle which was against me, for they were many against me. You know, I remember when my mother went home to be with the Lord, uh, and I've shared this with you on a couple of occasions. I experienced great anguish at the loss of her life. And the Lord was gracious, and he led me to Psalm 147.3, which says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And in time, I found this scripture to be so true. And he did heal my wounds. Getting back to our study, Elkanah and his household returned home to Ramah. And the scriptures scriptures say that in the process of time or after an unspecified period of time had passed, Hannah became pregnant. Now, it's interesting to note that Hannah didn't become pregnant right away. You know, a span of time had passed, and yet she didn't lose hope because she was waiting for the fulfillment. And one of the hardest things for us to do in our walk with the Lord is to wait upon him to answer our prayers, to intervene on our behalf. You know, some of us are more impatient than others, and so our impatience makes the waiting seem longer and uh, harder. But we must learn to trust in the Lord and to trust in his love for us and in his faithfulness Psalm 27:14 says, "Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord." Psalm 46:10 says, "Be still and know that I am God." And that phrase be still in the Greek means take your hands off. You know, another word says, "I've got it. Just let go. I'm God, know that I'm God." I can handle this. And we need to always remember that there is nothing too difficult for our God. Absolutely nothing. So then Hannah bore a son, and they called him Samuel, which literally means heard by God. And so Samuel would know because of his name all of his life that he was a direct answer to prayer. And he would grow to be a man of prayer. In 1 Samuel 12:23, Samuel would later tell the Israelites, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Then it came time for Elkanah and all his household to go up once again to offer the yearly sacrifice. But Hannah told her husband that she didn't want to go until Samuel was weaned. Now, according to Jewish rabbinical traditions, um, a weaned child was one who could eat solid food rather than uh, breastfeed from his mother. And weaning uh, could take place anywhere between 18 months and four years of age. And weaning was important to the Israelites because in those days, the mortality rate for infants was very high. And so if a child developed past the need for that physical support from their mother, then the child's likelihood of good health was greater. 
So some commentators believe that Samuel was probably somewhere between two and four years old when um, Hannah took him to the, um, to the tabernacle. But she was probably in no hurry to wean him, for she knew that, you know, once he went before the Lord, he would have to stay there. So Elkanah agreed to um, allow Hannah to stay home, but he cautioned her, and he said, you know, only let the Lord establish his word. In other words, he was saying, remember your promise and do everything in obedience to God so that we may see his word established among us. Samuel's spiritual preparation would be very important because he would become the last judge of Israel and the first prophet of many to counsel and to help the kings. So finally, in verses 24 to 28, uh, I'm not going to read them. Uh, Hannah keeps her vow to the Lord, and she takes Samuel up to Shiloh after he was weaned, and she presents him to the Lord with a sacrifice, and then she presents him to Eli. And then she reminds Eli of her prayer and of her vow that she would lend Samuel to the Lord for the rest of his life. And the chapter ends with Hannah and Eli worshiping the Lord together. In dealing with her heavy heart, Hannah finally came to a place where she trusted in the Lord with her problems, and she waited upon him to intervene on her behalf. And it's interesting that both the plan of God and Hannah's prayers were fulfilled. You know, Hannah's barrenness was finally taken from her, and she received a son whom she gave back to the Lord to serve him all the days of his life. And the Lord received back the boy he had given, and Samuel would become God's mouthpiece to the Israelites and one of the major prophets in Scripture. And so we need to follow Hannah's example as well in dealing with our heavy hearts. We need to weep, we need to pray, and we need to trust our problems to the Lord and wait for him to intervene on our behalf. And just know God has a plan, and it's a plan for good. And it may be different from our plans, but it's a good plan. We just have to trust him for it. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we just thank you for this great lesson, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be women who rely on your word, Father, as an anchor for our emotions. Help us to stand on the rock, Lord, when our um, heart is overwhelmed, Father. Lead us to you, Father. Draw us to you. Keep us close to you. And Father, I just pray for any woman here, who has a heavy heart. Father, I pray that you would intervene on her behalf, Lord. Touch her. Fill her with your peace, Father God. Help her with her needs. And um, I also pray, Father, for traveling mercies for each and every one of us. Get us home safely, Lord, and help us just to continue to be in your word, Lord, and to trust you for all things. Father, you are just so faithful. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.